Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. His profit is better than the profit of silver. It's gained than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can be compared to her. Long life's in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Oh, our Father, now we pray that you will uh, open our hearts, give our minds uh, the discipline necessary so they will not stray too far away from what you would speak to us about this morning through your word and to change, uh, Lord, where we need to be changed in our attitudes and outlook, do so as your Holy Spirit works his way in our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. I'm going to read some scripture, follow along with me, and uh, you can, of course, if you're open to Romans, I'm going to conclude the scripture reading with that. The passages, I'm going to read three passages preceding that, but uh, you can maybe walk, well, just walk through them with me in your own, uh, your own thoughts. Here we go. First, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through, or excuse me, 27 through 31. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret and earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, our passage this morning, Romans 12, and I'm going to begin at the first verse of chapter 12 because all of this it's one thought package, and it's drafting on what's been said. But I can't have time to read chapters 1 to 11 of Romans. You're with me? Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Well, it is my privilege this morning to be able to speak to a gifted group of people. You may take that at face value. Yes, you may take that literally. Gifted. I want to be upfront about this. If you have put your trust, you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, and the Spirit of God, therefore, has worked in your heart in regeneration to make you a new creature in Christ. God bestowed upon you. Yes, I'm speaking to you individually. He spoke, God worked by his Holy Spirit to endow you with many wonderful, wonderful gifts. <clears throat> but gifts specifically, gifts of the Holy Spirit. That happened. Ah, Maybe now you reminisce. Okay. Some of you can remember the time. Others can't. That's not the primary issue. And you say, well, I don't, I don't nobody told me that there was some kind of uh, angel dust coming down on me or anything. I didn't have any kind of emotional sensation. Maybe you did, but it's not necessary. But something supernaturally happened at that time. It's an extraordinary thing. This is why as new believers, we need immediate instruction. Hopefully you got that. But just in case, we're all going to revisit that which the Lord did for us, for you, for me, when we became his in Christ. So now let's walk through something. Here's what we're going to do so you'll know exactly where we're going. Now I'll tell you up front that the space, we, we, can't, we cannot give you a full notebook where you could take notes. So we use this bulletin, it's there for you. But I can tell you there's going to be some things you'll want to jot down, so be ready. Most of all, it's that the Spirit of God will bring this truth home to your hearts. Now, what I want us to do is we're going to have three movements this morning. Our thinking is going to go along these three lines. First of all, I'm going to circle the field. I'm going to go around what we are to, going to be looking at in these verses, in verses 6 through 8, because that's the real estate we want to pay attention to. But we're going to go circle around it. We're going to see it really well. Up top. Get us ready. It's very important. Don't be anxious. You say, wow, he's going a bit long with this. But believe me, it's very important to understand what we're going to be doing in verses 6 to 8. Then we're going to walk through those seven gifts 
that are there for us to understand. Now, this is not the entirety of the list of gifts in the New Testament. I think there's a very good reason for, for, uh, for that, that we have the variety. And I read the passages to you. Actually, I went to the, the major passages on gifts in the New Testament. That what we have in gifts, if I may, I like this word picture. I started to use the sports analogy, but I think we probably got a lot of sports running out our ears. But uh, I, thought of, I thought of artist and a palette of colors. If you've ever walked through a striking uh, art museum uh, and, and have noticed how vivid color has been in the past, we don't appreciate that. We think that perhaps uh, the digitalization of the TV screen has just taken to uh, heights in color. But if you go through a really good art museum and you will marvel at the colors, the hues. So I would liken the gifts to a palette of colors. Now why not put it that way? Because is, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but indulge me, that what we have to see about gifts is that this is not a cookie cutter kind of thing. All right, like as if God, all right, all the people are going to get the gift of service. Shoo, here they are. They all look alike, talk alike, do the same things. That's it. Okay, next. No, 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 no. God has infinite variety in his miraculous work of creating in us new hearts and lives to serve him. And so what he's done, we have, I am way ahead of myself here. All right, I didn't mean to stray this far, but I want you to be alert to it. Hey, why don't I just get through, let's circle the field and I can finish those thoughts. What I want us to do now is, first of all, let's just go through how this, the thought cascades down from verse 1 of chapter 12 down to where we are in verse 6. You with me on that? Here, here we go. First of all, here's what we saw. First, our culture and self-exaltation. Paul wrote to the Romans who lived in a pagan culture. It was not a, it was not a Christianized culture in any way whatsoever. And, excuse me, not at all. And what we have in these opening verses is Paul is alerting the believers in the churches, probably house churches in Rome, to what they need to know to have their feet on the ground biblically and get God's thoughts. And then, where do we go next? Putting to death pride and begin to cultivate humility. That's where he goes after right away. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. There is humility that is asked of us. Sober judgment is required of us. We need to assess ourselves by God's assigned measure of faith that you have. Did you hear that in the reading of Romans? And this assigned, this uh, outpouring, this measurement of faith. And that this essence of faith is what it's looking away from ourselves and looking to Christ. All right, we're being set up. So we must think rightly about ourselves. And we must understand the significance of the unity in the body of Christ that's created in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ. We're redeemed together. We're justified together. We're forgiven together. Every need is met together. Living forever together. Can I pause? I want to say something here that's quite candid. I have a line here that's in my notes and I didn't just do this to set us up for the circumstances that presently present themselves. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm going to give an open, um, open confession on this next statement and then go to the next one. Do you like, just like anybody in this church, get over it. We're going to live together forever. Okay, yes, I heard that clearing of the throat. Let's go. All right. What is my contribution to the body, the church? What's, is, is there something holding you back, holding me back? Do you feel useless to God? Maybe well, you say oh, my personality, lack of education, can't read well, afraid of people, some disability, verbally incompetent, a recluse, bashful, uh, whatever. Remember, you have a gift and you're essential to this assembly, to this body of believers. Please, don't exempt yourself. So therefore, we come to this. The matter here before us is not our self-esteem. This is not to pump us up thing. hey, look, I'm really more important than I thought I was. Hey, I'm glad I came. What a blessing. That's not the purpose of the passage. It's for the glory of God that we have been gifted. And we must ask ourselves this question. What is it that is keeping you and me from seeing ourselves as essential to this church? Maybe most, uh, maybe 90% are thinking this way this morning. And some are hearing this uh, by way of whatever. And uh, thinking, will think the same thought. I'll ask the same question. Now, here's where I'm going to really, I'm going to move through this quickly. But, and I, I'm, but each of these is a, is a sermon point, And I'm just going to state it. We're still circling the field. All right. What are these gifts and how do they function? Let me go through a series of statements. First of all, spiritual gifts are, they are God-given abilities for spiritual service in order to build up the body of Christ in the faith. These are supernatural abilities. You weren't born with these. Now, when you were born again, oh, now that's another story. And they are given to believers to build up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts may be given through the sanctification of natural ability. Or may come as a totally new competency. For example, it is quite often the scene that, say if one is a teacher, one just has that, that's in them. You're not even as a believer. You just... You like to instruct, or you like to tell people what to do. <laughs> Not necessarily the same. But, but, you're, but you are able to explain things and make them clear before becoming a Christian. Well, then you become a Christian, and God may very well, in his sovereignty of the Spirit, lay down the gift of teaching alongside of that. However, it's not God can take a new believer and guide them to places of service they never dreamed possible. This is the wonder of it. You think, whoa, God gave me that gift. That's not me. Oh, yes, it is. It is now. An introvert can become an extrovert for Jesus Christ. See, we don't want to get ourselves locked into these psychological categories. All right, I move along. Spiritual gifts are essential to the life of the church. We've, they're here for this purpose. We're going to function. Spiritual gifts may be counterfeit, counterfeited, misused. And unused. That's a sad note. Oh, let's move. 
Spiritual gifts are the manifestation of Christ in his body, the church. You want Christ's presence in, a church, in church life, in this body life here? Just exercise your spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are distributed by the Holy Spirit. We don't claim a gift. It's not something that we can shop for. Spiritual gifts are other-oriented and are to unite the body, to pull us together. We work together, coordinated. Spiritual gifts are developed through spiritual growth. In and of themselves, they are no sign of, spiritual, of, of, of spirituality. Now, get this one. Just because you have been gifted with a gift set, that doesn't mean that you are also, as I'll go on to say later, there is, you may not be far enough along in the faith or as you should be. Start loving one another. Then you'll find out who you are. We don't need, we don't need a spiritual gift SAT test. All right, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a test. And then when we get through the test, you'll find out what you are, and then you can go from there. No, 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 no. Get involved in showing love to others. I would say that would be a bottom line here. Spiritual gifts are interdependent. They work in coordination with one another. I can't resist football analogies. I'm sorry. I apologize to the ladies. But you're going to see a display of it in the Super Bowl. And, not, okay, you're not even going to watch the Super Bowl. That, that, I'm not trying to pump the Super Bowl. Just skip the halftime. And, uh, but you know what you do see? You do see, and if you've ever participated in team sports, some of us growing up, grew up eat, drinking, and sleeping, that sort of thing. You see how everybody on a team has a role to play. And if they don't do it, one thing, one thing, and I'll move on. If that quarterback doesn't have a good left tackle, he's in serious trouble. <laughs> the next thing he knows, he's got a 300-pound, well, 250-45-pound linebacker or coming after him. Okay, enough, no more. No more of those football analysis. Spiritual gifts will be recognized by the church. Look around. You'll see what people are doing. Uh, it's not this big mystery. I've already seen some. Th I walked into the building this morning and I saw one already, in, in, already on display. And so what people are interested in, how, how well they do it. Spiritual gifts are gender neutral. Ah, ladies, you've been waiting for this point, maybe. Here, I need to say just a it's kind of a little mini sermon. Women are equal with men in creation. Genesis 1, No argument there, I hope. Women are equal with men by redemption. Galatians 3, 28. Women are equally gifted with men for ministry. 1 Corinthians 12 and 4 and following. 1 Corinthians 11, 5. Acts 21, 9. Yeah, the gift of prophet. There were prophetesses in the early church. We're not talking about offices. We're talking about gifts. Now, we do know that women should not usurp authority over men in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, 3, 1 Timothy 2, 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. They do not have the office of pastor instructing authoritatively the flock. Now, I, I came across something recently. I love to, I've told you this every week. I, this is not a senior moment. I really do know what I'm saying when I say this repetitively. I came across this passage a while back in reading through Exodus. 
And I came up on that section. You know, you read through the Bible, you kind of know what's coming up. Right now, I'm in the middle, been in the middle of Leviticus. Whoa, that's a nice story. By the way, I had an opportunity to witness somebody who drew some blood on me last week for having been in Leviticus. I can't tell you that story now, but uh, it worked out well. And what I would like to emphasize is what's brought up in Exodus 31, Exodus 35, Exodus 36. When God's giving all these instructions on the building of the tabernacle, you think, oh, here we go again, the construction. You know, you got you to cut this, build this, measure that, and so forth. You know what stood out to me as I went through it this, this time again? Was that, of course, he said God told those uh, those workers that he was going to give them an ability. He was going to put it in their mind to do these things. So there was something supernatural going on in Israel. Yes, there were some who were born with natural gifts. Women were, many were just wonderful uh, weavers and spinners and sewers and, and they just, that was their life. And, but in Exodus uh, 35, 22, men and women, every skillful woman spun with her hands. Exodus 36, in whose mind the Lord had put skill. And he points out that the women did this too. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm getting on to you because you were somehow, uh, this is a macho place and women don't get their recognition. I think one of the legacies of our church of the years is that we, we honor women. I mean, we know where they function. We work together, and you've got to have that. All right, enough of that. Now, I'm still circling. Hang on. Paul, Paul is not just listing gifts. He is exhorting each member of the community to use his or her gift diligently and faithfully strengthen the body. That's where we're going. And one other thing here. The graces of the Spirit provide the fuel for the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, did you, did your mind wander on that one? All right, get it back. The graces of the Spirit provide the fuel for the gifts of the Spirit. What are the graces of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, and faithfulness, meekness, and so forth. There is a work that must go on in our hearts, changing of life, so that we, what happens then is that, in other words, our obedience to Christ expands our effectiveness and our giftedness. Oh, and it's a sad picture when you see someone who wants to strut and flaunt their gift and think that they've got, and they may even been given a, 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 a gift set. You know, it's possible to have more than one gift. You don't just get one. Uh, maybe he gives one. I, I don't want to limit the spirit on that point. All right, now let's do this. I said we had... Uh, Several movements we were going to go through here. That's just the first one. Let's go to the next. Now let's walk through these seven. These seven, and I'll conclude. I don't know that I told you this, but we're going to go to a conclusion. And I want to say something about, well, what do I do to discover my gift? If that's still a struggle or if your memory needs to be refreshed, we'll go there. But let's walk through these now, these seven gifts that he mentions. Very important. The very first of these is that the gift of prophecy builds up the body of Christ by proclaiming the newly revealed truth. It's the ability to receive and pass on special revelation from God. Are you getting this? Uh, this is probably of the list that, well, I'm sure of this, uh, the, the, of this group of seven 
this one, we gotta, we gotta hit the pause button a little bit here. Uh, and we got, we've got a couple of problems we've got to, we got to sort out. I'm gonna to try to do it uh, with uh, some necessary haste. But one of the problems is this fact that prophecy is that an ongoing gift. This has been quite an uh, issue in recent decades. One well-known theologian who did his PhD dissertation, and he came through with a conclusion and wrote a book about it and got a lot of following on it, that what the gift of prophecy is, is that it continues on through the church age. It's been operating for 2,000 years. Uh, Kind of a a continuationist view of the revelatory gifts, actually. And that the, the way he did that and does that is that there are these impressions then that one gets as one meditates on scripture or just thinks that one gets certain impressions and that these impressions through the process of speaking God's word uh, that those impressions then are to be carried on through as actually the hand of God directing the thought. So it's kind of a special revelation taking place. It's not just illumination. You, you, you with me on my definitions? There's a difference between revelation and illumination. Revelation is when God discloses truth. That's what occurred in the writing of scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. That's revelation. Illumination is the work of the Spirit of God enlightening the mind so that we can make the, we would say, it's an overused metaphor, connect the dots, understand what I'm studying and how it applies. That's the Spirit's work in bringing the truth home to the heart. That's that kind of thing. So first of all, we got to sort it out. I'll say this up front and have to move on, that I think that, yes, the gift of prophecy had both elements. It had a revelatory element and a non-revelatory element. Because you have stated in, uh, in 1 Corinthians how that you have edific- the gift of prophecies, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, edification, exhortation, and consolation. Well, that sounds almost like a teaching uh, fact, these teaching factors. But that's the way the gift worked because it was speaking God's word. I'm of the persuasion, I do not have the time, though it's worthy of attention, to break this down and demonstrate that I think that the, not, that the revelatory gifts, whether, you know, the revelatory aspect of prophecy, revelatory function of tongues, revelatory function of miracles and so on, that these functioned through, up and in, through into the first century and they ceased no longer needed, and you can see their decline in usefulness and, and, and need as the scriptures are increasingly becoming completed and the canon of scripture draws to enclose somewhere by the, in the early 90s AD. And because we have a completed canon of scripture, we no longer need those revelatory gifts. Now you say, well, come on, can we work on that? Another time, another place. But that's, uh, that I think is important to understand. Now, here's what we need to say. Let's get back to this. He says, according to the proportion of his faith. You see that phrase in the text. What's he mean here? Here's another one of those uh, interpretive issues that slaps us around for a little bit. I'll just cut to the chase on this. I think what he is speaking of is this, 
that this prophesying is to be in right relationship to the body of truth already revealed. I know I'm making some assumptions there based upon textual work, context, and other things, but I'm going to have to let that stand. I take it as in, in an objective sense. There is an interpretation that wants to make that more subjective, like a degree of faith that one has. I think he's describing what one has here is in this gift of prophecy. So important, so important. When one was standing, when one was speaking non, excuse me, revelatory things, and and at the same time could do revelatory, revelatory. Well, can you see something up coming up? You got to be careful. Are you going to stand before people and say, well, the Lord told me this and he didn't do it. Can you not see the danger of that? No, no, we have a lot of that going on today. <laughs> uh, come back to that in a moment. But I wanted to make that clear for another factor that's involved here is that in this, and it's related to this statement, this phrase, according to the proportion of faith. What does he mean by this? I think he means by according to the objective rule of faith. Or to put it another way, this objective rule of faith is that this body of truth to which the prophet is going to speak in the midst of. This was true in the Old Testament. You know, one of the ways that you could tell a false prophet from a true prophet was it Deuteronomy 13? Uh, or that... that if somebody says, well, this is what the Lord says, and then what do you do? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That doesn't comport with, that's not consistent with what's already been revealed. No, 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 no. You're not speaking the word of the Lord. You with me on that? And so the gift of prophecy, as one speaks, that there must be consistency with the revelation that's already been given. And this is another important factor here. Get this. This is an assumption, I think a, bib a fair biblical assumption, that there is what we call systematic theology is, is possible and was already in place embryonically in the first century. We say, oh, I'd love to have that systematic theology book. Was it written? Well, yes and no. Yes, in that we have the full body of truth that's been revealed, all that God wants us to know, the sufficiency of scripture. But on the other hand, what began to happen in the early years of the church and still going on is that you had men, as God enabled them through the illuminating work of the spirit, to begin to go through the scriptures and begin to organize the thoughts. Remember what I said about hymns and how they are in a sense, a, we're, we're singing systematic theology. So you see these things in categories like homartiology, soteriology, seminary. Guys who just had a seminary like to use these words and makes people think, whoa, he really, he really is in, he's in the end crowd. No, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of Christ, Christology, the doctrine of things to come, eschatology, and you study that, that's important. This is why I will just tell you one of my hot buttons. I don't like to hear anyone disparage doctrine and theology. Do you know what you're doing when you do that? Say, just get, don't, don't bother me with all this theology. And I'm thinking, what? Do you realize what you're saying? You're disparaging the word of God, and the spirit of God, bringing truths together so that we can study the whole body of God's revelation. So it's a disaster, for example, a teacher 
who is not plugged into the importance of theology, you're in for a train wreck if that happens. So there's got to be this, uh, this commitment to the importance of this, this body of truth. So to make sure that our teaching is in accordance with systematic theology, that's what the prophet had to do. Oh, there's a lot more that could be said there, but uh, let me just uh, pedal fast here. That, let me give uh, a warning. One warning is, okay, in this gift of prophecy, there is some popular Christianity view of prophets. The prophecy is that what a prophet is, is somebody that really cuts loose and just gives the culture, gives them you know what, and just lays it out there. And they just blow them away, blow them out of the water. And oh, that person's got the gift of prophecy. Well, is it because they spoke loud? Is, uh, is that all it is? No, it is being consistent with what we said in edification and exhortation and consolation. It's an unfolding of the scriptures. Now, personalities come into it, of course. All right, with that said. Okay, and I, I, I can't get stuck on this point, but I, I know it's out there and I have a little extra material that I'll use somewhere else. But there are Bible teachers who talk as if they were prophets when the Lord told me so. That's not hard to document. Now, I want to be kind to these because so many are often brothers and sisters in Christ who seek, I think, want to know God, want to, uh, an intimate, close walk with the Lord. And sometimes people who get into these cul-de-sacs, theological cul-de-sacs, when they say, well, the Lord told me, is that their hearts become kind of a desert because they don't really know how to meet God through the scriptures. Maybe it's not being modeled for them in their church. Maybe it's not being lived before them. They just don't know how to draw near to God. If you love me, he said, you keep my commandments. Love him, keep his commandments, know what they are. So, and I think some folks who, uh, their emotional buttons, they want them pushed real hard. They say, well, I just want, I want to feel God. Well, good. But, you know, what about it when you, what do you got a migraine? Uh, or you name it. Uh, all right, I, don't, I, I can't linger there. But uh, here's the gift of prophecy and, and how important it is. You ready for numbers two through seven? Let's go. The gift of service. The gift of service builds up the body of Christ by helping to meet the material needs of others. I really was taken by this. I don't know how much to make of it, but that he mentions this right after prophecy and then mentions teaching. Well, I think I would have put teaching in that upper tier if he were prioritizing, though I'm not, well, in a sense he is. Let's look at it. What is this service? It's not that complicated. Uh, I, could throw a, I could throw a Greek word to you here and you would immediately you would say, oh, yeah, I got that one. Diakonia. Diakonia, diakon, deacon, deacon, deacon. The word deacon comes from it. This is the word we find in the New Testament that's rendered in places, other places, service. And I can give you the shorthand for this one. I give you three words for service. If you have the gift of service, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Now, what are the characteristics like? Well, this, this kind of gift easily recognizes practical needs and is quick to meet them. 
they enjoy they enjoy helping, assisting, carrying out instructions. They pick up on casual remarks, and some of them, these moderate remarks, just might go just right by them, other people. But they're super sensitive to the circumstances of other people. Have you ever seen that happen? You were in a, in a situation and you came away from it and somebody came out of that and they saw some needs there and they went right to it and said, wow, I missed that one. <laughs> now, it's no excuse for not being sensitive to the needs of others, but we're talking about this gift, which is a special kind of function. And it, this gift tends to do more than asked to do, prefers doing a job to delegating it, now, there are hazards with the gift of service. If you are there, if you are there, discouragement, easily hurt when unappreciated. Oh, nobody ever pays it. I do all that. And nobody ever says anything. They're always talking about the preacher, all those teaching gifts. Ah, oh, good night. They're the celebrities. What about us who are doing the grunt work out here? Be careful. Be careful. They can be critical of those who don't help. Why? I'm here. I'm doing this every week. And you know, I never get anybody to come up and say, can I help in some way? Well, you may recognize that. I'm not saying try to play amnesia about the problem. But uh, it's all about Mary, like Mary and Martha. You remember that well-known story? Martha's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's just soaking it all in. And Martha's in there. You can just see her. She had an apron. She's wiping her brow. She's just trying to get everything together and Imagine it's like putting a meal together for you, you, you didn't have the modern conveniences. And, and she kind of gets hold of, why, why isn't Mary in here helping me? Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You finish that story. I just said you that Jesus puts, helps her gently and reminds her of this danger. So, I, there are further things that could be said here, but I don't want to just be disproportionate in my attention to these gifts, but... I can say that it would be for the person who has the gift of service, since obviously it's so, it functions in an important role in the church, though it may not be seen. You've got to, are you growing in love? I'm going to end on that note, so I'm going to save that one. I'm mindful of what Tuesday is, and uh, I'll come back to that. But, uh, you know, the church has needs. Property, buildings, widows, the impoverished, the sick, collection of offerings, Business manager stuff kind of things. What would we do without this gift in so many ways? Right, no, number three. Next one. The gift of teaching builds up the body of Christ by communicating the word of God. I know about this one. All right, so I, I can't be a time hog on this thing with that. And I know how it functions, but, and I know how it ought to function. They're not necessarily the same thing. Well, what is this? It is these, the gift of teaching builds up the body of Christ by communicating the word of, word of God, explaining and applying the truth. Characteristics, it enjoys research, reading, meaning of words, concepts, self-discipline, not pleased when scripture is used out of context. <laughs> um, spiritual detectives, okay, looks for facts, is more objective than subjective, seeks information, mind like a sponge, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It functions like that. Uh, and you know, there's, I said that the gifts, are, it's like a, a, a palette of, of colors, painting, palette, color. 
you know, you've got all varieties of things within these. They're, as I said, there are different kinds of people who render service, different personalities, different backgrounds, different levels of energy, and so on, different natural gifts that can come in and, 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 and complement this. Same thing is true here with teaching. There are some who are especially adept at teaching children. You give, the, you give the teachers five and six-year-olds, whoa! They just, you're dazzled by it. But put them in front of a group of adults, they're not too comfortable with that. Okay, these are not to be points where we feel guilty or disenfranchised. It's that the way God has spread the gifts around. Small groups, some are better in teaching in small groups. Some are better in speaking before larger crowds. That kind of thing. Now, there are some dangers for those who have, uh, before we leave it, for those who have the gift. And we obviously do need those with the gift of teaching. And some of you may have this gift, and it's just, it's up in the, it's up in the top shelf of a closet, and it's gathered dust. So I want to get you out of there and let you think that don't let the, those others with the gift of teaching and perhaps their abuse of it discourage you and drive you away. Maybe you've been bored by somebody who has the gift of teaching and they, uh, they're skilled in the art of boredom. And so, oh, I don't want to go there. And uh, oh, no, 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 this is not a beauty contest, no. Uh, but another danger is you can be critical. You can be aloof. You can be isolated. You can be opinionated. This, this hurts, I, I don't want to read these things. I, I know some of these struggles. Be opinionated. Dogmatic, truth unrelated to life. Pride in what he or she knows. Just get me in a group and bring up a subject. Hey, been there, done that, know that. My turn. Be careful. May neglect family and other responsibilities. Thinks that answers to problems are solely informational in nature. I can raise my hand on that one. Uh, okay, enough said there. This full disclosure later somewhere else. So here's this gift of imparting what has been gained from study. May God raise up a band of teachers. More teachers, more teachers. We need teachers. Don't rule yourself out because you say, well, I can't stand in a pulpit and do that. You don't have to. That's different ways that it comes out, all right? Number four, the gift of exhorting. The gift of exhorting builds up the body of Christ, encouraging Christians to live out the truth of the gospel. It's the ability to motivate for action, helping others to see what they need to do. The ability to courage, encourage and comfort and admonish people. Now, I gotta pause and say this. You can have more than one gift. If you have a teacher who has also the gift of exhortation, that's boom, boom, quite a one-two punch. And I've, I've known men who do that. And who, through their personality and other things, they're uh, quite often they you know write books and they're well received by the larger body of Christ. So uh, this this gift of exhortation, but it it, it encourages um, to to exhort is to urge strongly, it's to advise, it's to warn earnestly. Now, this is much more than my high school football coach was at halftime. Steve, do you have one of those? <laughs> They could be exhorters, but not in exactly the way it should function in the church. But you want to, that what they do is that they so present the truth and so 
There's love and concern and understanding of human nature. They just make you, I, I'm ready to go. Where do, I, where do I sign up? What can I do? Lord, this is wonderful. That kind of effect wants to move you to action and to motivate. This is the word. And it's a paraklesis, a parakaleo is coming alongside to help move along. Barnabas is often an example that's brought up. Though interestingly, Barnabas is also included in the list of prophets. So you can have these multi-gifts. So as one has put it, teaching concentrates more on the content of the tradition while exhortation summons others to actions and stirs them from lethargy. I read that as a quote. That's helpful. That's helpful. And exhorters, it just move you along and drive the truth home. Oh, I thank God for that gift because I've had people come alongside of me and help me and they see things. They see the implications of truth that I hadn't seen. And does it ever pivot? It caused me to pivot and change. You have that experience. All right. Okay. Let's, we got to get to number five. The gift of giving. Hold on to your wallets. All right. Gift of giving. Here we are. The gift of giving builds up the body of Christ by generously contributing financial resources to the Lord's work. Now, let me say right off, you don't have to be wealthy to have this gift. Now, God may endow you with certain natural gifts. You know how to make money. You are a person, I've known people like this, you are willing to take risks to make money. I've never seen myself, I'm not that much of a risk taker. But people who do this, who have often, often not always, but you don't have to be that kind of person out of that kind of person. And that uh, you notice that he says that this gift is to be exercised with simplicity. That's the idea, the word. There's no thought of return or gain. It's not mixed motives. You're not trying to buy somebody off, get more influence. It's, it's a danger. Hey, I've got some money. I can, hey, I can make it happen. Woo, well, we really like you. And that person can use that likability factor as leverage and, and the wheels come off on the gift. So you know, the danger of improper motives is pointed out here. But I say again, generosity is not limited to the wealthy. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of a person right now. She's with the Lord. She didn't have much, but did she ever spread herself around materially with, with what little money? I look back on it. And I'm thinking, now that I'm older and I have a much more appreciation for how far money goes and doesn't go, how did she do it? She was just always something here, something there. See me responding to it. Oh, thank you, God, for this, this wonderful gift. And then number six, the gift of leadership builds up the body of Christ providing good administration for the work of the Lord, the ability to rule in the church. Oh, this one. Okay, I had personal remarks. I'm, I'm going to set those aside, but I can tell you this is the person who wants to set goals, got a sense of direction, know what needs to be done. They know the right people for the right job. Now, this is when the, this is when the gift is clicking on hitting on all cylinders. <laughs> that may be a visionary with a broad perspective. Uh, enjoys delegating tasks and supervising people will endure criticism in order to accomplish the ultimate task, enjoys working with and being around people, 
getting people to follow them. Could you see some possible dangers here with this one? <laughs> there are dangers that come with each of these. But you could see there could be careless, poor management. You might want to try to use people to accomplish personal goals. Well, this takes some soul management. You may resort to manipulation and impatience with people who don't move fast enough. Hey, come, come on, what are you waiting on? I can talk to my dog that way, but that's not the way we want to get people to, to function. It might be a driven person and the danger of laziness. So it's a wonderful gift and we need this, this gift dispersed to kind of keep us organized. Sometimes churches, we can be like a herd of cats and uh, we want to flow here, do this. We got, oh, this. oh, we need to do this. I think the most important thing for us to do right now is this. And the person who is the gift of leadership, and if they're spiritually qualified, mature, and thinking, they think, what? What did I just hear him or say? They thought that was the most important thing. That would be at the bottom of my list. So you, then you got to think, okay, how do I work through this and work with people and not insult folks? You getting the drift here? Number seven, the gift of mercy. It builds up the body of Christ by ministering to those who are suffering. You know, I got to pause here and insert something I didn't put in earlier on. Be careful about the union shop mentality on gifts. You know what that's like? I can remember what it was like very well because I worked in a, I worked in a, in a shirt factory one time. I drove a semi truck and I had to deal with, uh, I was just, Actually, I was, yeah, I was a teenager. And, uh, and so somebody backs the truck up to the dock to be unloaded. And you know what? It may be, we can't do that. It's not in the contract. But the people who unload trucks, they're not here. Uh, okay. But, no, when I say shop union mentality, I mean, how do I say this? That... We all ought to be teachers in a sense. Are you with me? We all ought to be serving the gift of service. We all ought to be givers. We all ought to be leaders in organizing. So we can't exempt ourselves from responsibilities because they say, well, I don't have that gift. Or I don't need to be merciful. Oh, I'm off the hook there. Oh, no, not at all. It builds up the body of Christ, ministering to those who are suffering, ministering to the sick, those who are suffering emotionally, some kind of distress, and then they need economic assistance. So the list goes on, mercy, mercy, mercy. And I will tell you, what comes to immediately to, to mind would be, um, would be uh, nurses who just naturally have some kind of a gift and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, a visiting angel in the home, helping out, coming to the help. <laughs> so therefore, oh, what I would say to those who have the gift of mercy, if that's your inclination, you think that may be part one of your, your gift package, you have to worry about being gloomy because you really can get worn down and you can get worn out and complain. And mercy, you notice that it's to be given to what? Cheerfulness, cheerfulness. Got to work on yourself. God loves a cheerful giver. So he loves those who give mercy in being cheerful in the process. Okay, I, I will conclude. I know I'm a little delayed, but uh, here it is. I want to conclude. This is that third movement I told you about. All right, how does one discover their spiritual gift? I'm just going to assume like 
you've forgotten, you're not sure, you think, okay, all that aside, could just, let me offer about five, five factors, I think. I'll be, I'll be brief. First of all, the, listen, this whole process of thought and pursuit and seeking God ought to be initiated by prayer. Lord, I think I may know how you've gifted me, but I know maybe I have gifts. I know the question comes up, can you be gifted for something further on in the Christian life? I'm not going there. I, I can't say God couldn't do that. But anyway, I'm saying initiate the thought by prayer. Where, where Lord? How do I fit? Or how do I fit more effectively? Have I? Okay. Secondly, enlightened by study, self-examination, study what we just exposed ourselves to. Think through these things. Meditate on scripture. Where do I see? Well, let me go to the third one. God plants a desire in the heart and indications are given by God. What really, I say, lights your fire? What really gets your interest? And you may have thought that that was somehow subpar or something because you, you're interested in one thing and not so interested in another. Not necessarily. What desire is there for you to do? To be, what, are you really fulfill, what really fulfills you? That's a fair question. And then fourth, this desire will be confirmed by the evidence of the ability. People will pick up on this. And spouses, husbands, and wives. I think I, I could tell you my wife's gifts. I mean, 58, 50, almost 59 years have taught me a few things. <laughs> and, and so we can read one another and in the body as well. And so there will be affirmation. Someone may think they have a certain gift and they don't. And maybe they're out of their league. Not that you're excusing uh, spiritual immaturity, but they just may be trying to do something that that's just, okay, I need to be a little more humble about the situation. Five, God accompanies the exercise of the gift with blessing to others. Yeah, that's not, you're not being, you're not being vain or proud. You say, Lord, thank you that you've used me. And when, when people, uh, I've heard it put this way, when, when someone gives you a compliment, don't let it go to your head. When someone criticizes you, you don't want to let it go to your heart. But learn to take the blessings that others have received from your life and say, well, Lord, I want to be useful to the finish. I want to finish well. Do you? And that's why we're going to draft on this in a couple of weeks. Love, love. This would be a good way to close our time in prayer. We got a lot to talk about the romance and affection and Valentine's Day. Oh, by the way, do you know this? Allow me this. You know that actually Valentine's Day has an interesting history. Not the whole story on this. Actually, it came beginning out of a pagan Roman festival. But then the church said, we got to do something about this. And there were a couple of martyrs in the fourth, fifth centuries who were, and one of them was named Valentine, who was actually ended up being beheaded because he had come to the help of rescue or help and aid of some believers who were being persecuted. And so they just built that into the day of remembrance and love. Think about this. Let's pray. Lord, I pray now that you'll move us to our further thought in the, in the adult class that we're about to have. Thank you for Taylor, Lord, his gift of teaching.
And I pray that you will give him a wide open mind now in these things along with us who, and who participate. Take these, this truth of gifts, Lord, stir us and just make us just alive, alive, Lord, with loving service of whether, no matter what the gift and living out for your glory energetically and enthusiasm for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I kept you over time. We got to.